listening to From Maker to Manufacturing, a podcast about what it really takes to grow a handmade business. Hey guys, welcome to episode 10 of From Maker to Manufacturing. I'm your host, Sarah Cooley. I wanted to really apologize, although I do have kind of like a motto to not apologize for things like this, but I know it's been practically two months, or maybe it's coming on three months almost now, since I last released an episode of the show. In fact, this episode was recorded more than two months ago. So I want to apologize to my guest and to my audience because things just got really busy with the business and this definitely got put on the back burner. I know you guys will understand that the business obviously comes first, but I know that a lot of you were really thinking that I had just kind of abandoned the podcast altogether, and that's definitely not something I wanted to do. I definitely want to keep doing this show, but with the holiday season coming up, I've decided to not really make any promises as to how frequently the episodes will come out. Between my busy working schedule and everybody else being in the holiday season also, it might be difficult or more difficult than it has been to schedule interviews, so we might do a few more solo episodes, and I definitely think the next episode will be another Q&A episode. I know a few of you have already sent in some questions. We're definitely getting questions around the themes of trade shows, working with reps, Um, working with design firms for packaging redesigns, all that kind of stuff. But if you have any specific questions, you can email them to me, sarah at simplycurated.com, and we'll definitely try to answer them on the next episode. Today's episode is with Sarah McNally, the founder of Constellation Co., a letterpress company in Seattle. During this episode, when we first started recording, before we kind of officially started the show, Sarah and I had started to having a really good conversation, and I just felt really bad because I felt like some of the things were going to get cut out or not. I wasn't going to be able to like slip them into context during the rest of the show once we kind of officially formally started the episode. So I thought it might be fun to give myself some more work and edit together a little highlight reel of our informal conversation before we actually started. Yeah, like two or three years ago, I decided I was going to start a podcast and I bought this microphone and that's as far as I went. So, Well, now that now that I'm like two months in, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm going to have to like keep making these like <laughs> I think at the end of the day, like people people realize that I'm still running a business. You know, if one more person tells me to go on Shark Tank, I'm going to like, I don't know. <laughs> for somebody who's like a financial services manager to go door to door seems a really shady and weird and like who who's gonna have money that's at home at 12 30 in the 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 middle of the afternoon those that's a great question those people don't have money dude your sales pitch is flawed i'm excited to talk to you about like opening a you know opening a store also because i think that you have both perspectives and having both perspectives, I think helps you learn a lot about your own wholesale business so much, you know, more. I I get, I get only two types of things on Instagram DMS um, pitches Mm -hmm. or people who are trying to start a letterpress business and want me to give them all of my free advice. When people do that, I want to just say like, let me Google that for you. I totally want to do it every time though, because how do you think like I found my like, People are like, I've been searching. And I'm like, have you been searching? Because 
I I'm sometimes I get the questions and like they're worded in such a way where I'm like you know this doesn't make sense right or like you're telling me you want my source for packaging because you can't afford to do custom packaging so because it's so expensive so you want me to tell you where I get our packaging done and I'm like our packaging is custom packaging and it was fucking expensive like I don't understand you just answered your own question like what (laughs) everyone thinks there's this like fantasy world where you start a business and and you can do it in the first month you're going to make all the money you need to you know For do next the next month, thing and right yeah yeah and, and no it's not really that way like there are times where you have to beg borrow steal you know to get to the next thing that you need to do and and it's all expensive like scaling is very expensive I've edited out some a couple things from the show where I was just like, that was fucking mean. You can't say that about other people's businesses. Oh, no. <laughs> just a few things. Sometimes I, sometimes I almost edit it out, and then I'm like, you should leave it in there because that's just real life. Okay, let's. Yeah, we're going to just keep talking if we don't just like start the thing. All right, let's do it. Let's light this candle. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Sarah. Oh, so double Sarahs. That doesn't get confusing <laughs> <right>. at all. <laughs> um, so for people who don't know you, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your business? Absolutely. Um, and since we're both Sarahs, I think I'll talk with a weird, distinctive voice. So watch out for that. <laughs> I won't do that. That's terrible. So I am Sarah McNally. I own Constellation and Company. We are a letterpress stationery company and gift shop in Seattle. We offer um, a line of wholesale stationery, greeting cards, prints, etc. And we also offer workshops and do some custom work and lots of other paper-based goods and services. Paper-based goods and services. Seattle? You did I've say never that. said that in my life. Paper-based <laughs> goods like and services? Yeah, yeah, that's that's. It's an accurate description. Fancy. (laughs) Professional. Yeah. Um, What year did you like official, what year do you like officially count as like your founding year for Constellation Co.? Yeah. Um, The the window of our shops is 2009 because that's when we came up with a name. Um, That's when I married my husband and we got out of design school and started making stuff. So that's when we joined Etsy and um, I started go co-printing some cards in my second bedroom. Um, really, we bought our first printing press in 2011 and actually got a business license and um, a studio and started making things for, for real. So 2011 is official, but 2009 is, is what we like to put on the window because you put the oldest date on the window. It's nobody's going to fault you for that. That's totally fine. <laughs> Nobody wants to like, walk up to a like store I... and see established 2016. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, That's or if true. you do, you just really wanted that real bad on your side. Okay. What um, – let's start with like the Etsy shop. So when you opened the Etsy shop, it was just like – I have a design background. Etsy at the time, super popular, super up and coming. Um, come to think of it, we're probably like the exact same age because if you graduated in 2009, I think we're both, what are you, 87? 29. Yep. Hey! Twins. Sarah, Sarah, twin chaos hour. Okay. <laughs> I it like just gets it. better and better. Um, <laughs> it really does. <laughs> 
Except for you're married and have children, and I'm just single AF sitting here moving to a state where I know nobody, and I have no life. <laughs> Dude, there there are some really beautiful things about being 29 and been being married for seven years, and then there's a lot of things where <laughs> we're we're both figuring out who the heck we are as adults and sure. how our life works and what we want to do for our career and. You know, those things are really different than they were when we were 22 and we got married. So thankfully, we're BFFs and and enjoying growing together. Um, but I, we're all we're all in the middle of it. Like there's there. I have not arrived, nor have I accomplished anything by getting married to my. No, I totally understand. It's it's just a different path and everybody's situation is different, sure. which is one thing I love so much about this podcast is because you realize that like. You can't judge somebody by their age, by how many years they've been in business, by their total, you know, like everybody's situation is different and it changes every part of your business, of your career, you know, and just like letting people accept the fact that like, you know, be where you are in your business and Mm -hmm. have goals, but don't really beat yourself up, you know, about comparing yourself to other people. So when you first opened the Etsy store, did you like... Was it was it more like a gradual, like sell a few things or kind of how did you get the ball rolling and like let people kind of find out about it? Or did you have a plan or you were yeah. just like, I'm going to try and sell some stuff? I'm I'm like the worst example when it comes to this. I, you know, like I said, I, I had a, a GoCo machine and I was, you know, was just printing a few cards here and there in my in my second bedroom. And um, I would list on Etsy exactly how many I had. So I'd be like, I have eight of this cupcake card Mm -hmm. and I will put it on Etsy and we'll see what happens. And I had some, you know, handout books that I'd done in college that I put up and, um, yeah, just a little bit of everything. There was no cohesive print method. There was no cohesive idea. There was, uh, you know, my pricing was nuts and, um, I was literally buying a, a shipping envelope, each time I sold something, like I would go to the store and buy an envelope and then I would walk to the post office and I would ship it. Like it was, um, it felt, you know, like a small victory to sell each like $3 card and ship it to someone somewhere. Um, so I really had no plan. I had no intention of starting a business. Um, I was just out of design school and trying really hard to get a job, um, in branding or, you know, print design, um, in 2009, which is like, ha ha, ha ha. Good job. That's that's a great idea. You won the um, college graduation so year lottery. I really did. Yep. Um, and so I, I didn't get a job and we were broke and I had so much time on my hands. So I just, you know, it, it was my hobby, honestly. It was a mm-hmm. thing that I just kind of liked doing. And um, at, the, at that point in time, I didn't think that there was ever a world in which I could make a living doing that or sell in any quantities that you know, more than what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a way to kind of get started and make a few things and make a few bucks. And, you know, I was happy with that for that point in time. Do you remember how you discovered the world that is the stationary industry? Um, you know, I guess I had kind of known about that cause I got, I got really into design blogs in college. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of from that, yeah, from that 2000, shoot, 2004, I don't even know, I can't count backwards, but you know, the, the four years I was in college were, mm-hmm. you know, the early 2000s were really a 
big for the you know design blog world. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a few bigger ones, but then kind of everybody had one, and um, they were a whole lot different than they are now. Um, for the most part, it was people just posting every day a thing they found that they liked, and um, they were simpler times, I think, in the <laughs> blogging world. Um, so I, th- that's really how I found out about letterpress and, and how I kind of found the, the stationary community. Um, and a lot of it was through weddings. Um, so like I said, I got married in 2009. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, graduated school in May, got married in September. So I was definitely planning a wedding and looking through a lot of those things. So that was kind of where I plugged into what other designers were doing in, in the businesses that other people had. And then a big part of it for me was, looking at all the companies that were doing exactly what I thought I wanted to be doing in the long run and finding that if it wasn't a big branding company, um, they were these mom and pop one or two people companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, emailed a lot of them and applied for jobs, which there's a lot of things I did at that point in time that I have people do to me now that makes me crazy. But, you know, <laughs> people asking for a full-time job with my company as a designer, like that's a great, thought it would be beautiful if I could do that but I'm the designer at my company um and I'm not making enough (laughs) to uh you know delegate the one part that is what I feel like the 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 really the heart of what I bring to the business which is um my writing my my design and my aesthetic Mm um so but like I said I, I emailed a ton of people and um, and just kind of got those responses like it's just me it's just me and my husband it's mm-hmm. just me and a part-timer and um, it really opened my eyes to kind of the reality of what of how people were were doing the kind of work that they wanted to do I think that there's a like a moment when you start selling something or you're kind of starting to build a business when you realize that there are people who have successful companies that are you know supporting themselves that have been in business for a good amount of time that are only two or three people max you know Mm -hmm. companies and when you realize that that reality is an attainable reality and not something that's shown a lot on tv or that's like glorified from entrepreneurial standards or whatever but that that's something that like could be you know a living for you where like you said, I, I like how you phrased it. You are the designer at your own company. You wanted a design mm-hmm. job and you created a place where that could exist. And that's kind of like super powerful. Then you kind of have to figure out how to get there. That's a whole nother story. Sure. But, you know, yeah, it's just good to when you kind of realize like, oh, there are people who are doing, you know, really good revenue numbers yearly and they're still five under five people under mm-hmm. five employees and I think that that's yeah, really absolutely. Like, awesome thing to see yeah and I think so the blend at that moment in life in my life was was kind of seeing like the beautiful stuff online and and seeing my uh, my design background sort of meet the idea like I, I grew up my parents owned their own business for almost 30 years um, and they were in equipment rental but I you know I grew up in the back room of a small business like wow. small businesses is my blood like I I knew exactly what that looked like and it was never my goal because for me it looked like um, chainsaws and tractors because mm-hmm. um, that's how I grew up but when the ideas of small business kind of met the beauty of of the stationary industry of the, the design world that's when I kind of started getting really excited about what a business could actually be for me. I think that was kind of the, an interesting point that I reached where I was like, ah, yeah. Cause small business for me wasn't, 
it wasn't a, I mean, it's scarier now than it was then, but it didn't feel scary because I grew up with that. Like I mm-hmm. was really familiar with what that looked like and what that felt like. Um, so I, I feel like it, it, it made sense logically when I finally reached that point. It's interesting because you had this like background of, oh, this is what a small business looks like. And it was this very narrow view, but very specific and probably also very helpful once you're able to like understand that all the inner workings of small businesses are the same. Mm -hmm. It just has to do with what you're selling and who your customers are at the the end of the day. Like that's really the two variables that are different. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I hear so many people who come into the stationary industry with their wedding as a entry point. Because it is the first time for a lot of people that all of a sudden you're exposed to like all of these options and all of these Mm -hmm. companies and different printing methods and and all these different designs. And as somebody who has a creative background, I think for me, anytime I've looked at any of that stuff, um, the first thing I think about is like what I would do differently or how I would change it or Mm -hmm. if I only had the means to like design it myself. So I think yeah. it's very – the people who have taken that and kind of are able to start a business, it's really it's really impressive. So did you kind of like step back and say, okay, I want to have a cohesive line. Let me design a line kind of from start or was it still very piecemeal at yeah. this point? I didn't actually have that thought and that decision until 2013. So I – you know, I, I was like, almost, yeah, I mean, definitely a couple of years in before I had any thought of a line. Because um, mm-hmm. really from there, from m- making stuff, I I apprenticed with a letterpress printer for a year. So I got really, you know, in, in the weeds, you know, learning everything I could about letterpress. Um, oh. And yeah, and then I... Honestly, everyone I knew was getting married. It was like a lot of, you know, young couples and then a lot of people that I knew from church or other places. Um, So everybody wanted wedding invitations. And um, yeah, I honestly, I started working for free for all my friends, designing wedding (laughs) invitations and making them pay for the paper and the plates. But, um, you know, giving giving my time, um, which I think honestly, at 22 or 23, um, there, there's really nothing wrong with that. I think there's a, mm-hmm. it gets demonized a lot. Um, yeah. And I don't think everyone should give their time away for free, of course. Like, if you run a business, you can't do that. Um, but at that point in time, I had the luxury of doing that. So I was able to work with a ton of different couples and, you know, really learn a lot about client work that I hadn't had since I couldn't get a job out of school. Um, <laughs> and, you know, do a ton of work. So put together a pretty good custom portfolio. Um, so I really focused on that. Um, for the first couple of years. And then in 2013, I just like, completely burnt out on weddings and client work and kind of had that moment where I realized I can only make so much money for my time and I can't add right. any more time. I'm getting a lot of pushback on money. So how can I grow my business in a way that I'm not working 24 seven? Um, and I'm, I'm also allowed to make the things that I want to make. Um, so that's when I started looking at more of a cohesive wholesale line, um, and investing the time in my own products. Um, and I'd kind of come to that conclusion already. And then I found out about the national stationery show and I was like, Oh my God, I want to do that. Like that looks amazing. (laughs) And it was this like huge goal. And I like, as soon as I decided I wanted to do that, I started losing sleep over it, like just terrified. Um, and then it was right around that time I found out about trade show boot camp, and it was like the perfect timing. Um, so I went to paper camp 
in DC in 2013 and got totally schooled on the letterpress, not necessarily letterpress, the stationary, the wholesale stationary industry. Um, and realized I had, you know, cause I've been selling wholesale to three or four stores around Seattle since mm-hmm. 2011. Um, so I had, I, I mean, I, I've been doing okay. Like it was never the goal. And I only had a few products. I had this like one page, um, uh, line sheet that I printed out on my computer and, and I did the worst thing you could possibly do and walked into stores expecting to talk to buyers. And I actually got some stores that way, which now I'm like, no, no, what? Like people were very (laughs) kind to me. Um, cause I had like, I would say probably like eight products. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just me walking around, like literally walking, taking the bus and walking around. Um, but yeah, so I've been selling wholesale for a little bit, but um, just kind of realized I had been doing a lot of things really foolishly and my, my pricing was a little bit off and um, my sizes were totally not industry standard, which I freaked out about and then decided to stick to my guns. So my sizes are still not industry standard. I'm okay <laughs> with it. Um, but yeah, I guess I just, I, I learned a ton at paper camp and then, um, was able through that community to ask a million questions and, and really start to build a plan for the business that was wholesale focused. Um, right. so I quit taking weddings completely and, um, you know, spent all the money we had saved and, um, designed a, a full line, um, that we took to the stationary show in 2014. And when you exhibited at the stationary show, you did it with Ladies of Letterpress the first time, right? Correct. I did. And I, I felt I felt really good about that. And I still do. I think that was a good place to start for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot less decisions to be made. I didn't have to decide on the walls and the flooring mm-hmm. and the space and all those things. Um, so I could just come to the show, hang my work, and talk to people, um, which was already stressful enough <laughs> and expensive <laughs> enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I think ladies of letter person is a great way to go. Um, I think you can do it inexpensively, but mm-hmm. not having, not having the ability to make some of those decisions means you, you do end up paying a lot for, you know, phone core and carpet and things that you may not have chosen otherwise. Um, so there was, I walked away with, um, yeah, a long list of things I wanted to do differently in my own booth. Um, mm. but I, I actually, and I feel like I've decided to share, some numbers because I think most people don't share numbers at all. And I think it's, I don't know. I I don't feel, I don't feel like there's any reason not to for me. So 2014, I wrote 12 orders from 12 new stores. Um, and I made about two grand at the show. Um, yeah. So that for me, like it was huge. Like it definitely the biggest, you know, wholesale orders I had written and, um, they were all stores in a, different parts of the country that I had never been in. Um, yeah. cause we're, you know, Seattle's a big city, but we're also like wedged up here in the corner of the country. And so <laughs> a lot of people on the East coast never find out about us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really nice to be in stores in a different part of the country and just expanding, um, you know, a lot all at once. Cause that probably, I, I want to say that doubled my stockist list at that point. So we were, you know, we were little and that, that was, that felt very big for us. Um, so yeah, that's what we did. Did you do it again the next year or did you skip a year? We didn't. Um, we were going through the process of adopting and, um, ended up, um, adopting our son and, um, he was 
just about four months old um, when the 2015 show came around. Um, mm-hmm. So I made the decision to skip that one, and I feel good about that decision. That would have been very difficult. <laughs> Were you able to still kind of like ride the the NSS wave around that time of year with buyers, or because of your yeah. just your current personal situation, was it not <laughs> not easy to keep on track yeah. of all that stuff? I mean, 2015, we didn't release anything in January, and then we released in the spring and released a little more in the summer, Um, but it was pretty spotty. And the one thing from my first NSS that I really didn't do well is I I wasn't particularly proactive when it came to my buyers. I didn't, I didn't tell them my best sellers. I didn't, I I was so scared to like say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing that I wasn't, I didn't do a particularly good job at explaining why my line was worth taking on. Um, and I also didn't do a good job with who I met at the show. Um, I was so like overwhelmed by people and so excited. And like, I just grabbed a bunch of business cards that I didn't make notes. I didn't, you know, I didn't keep them anywhere particularly helpful. And I didn't write down a lot of people's info. I handed out catalogs into the void. Um, you know, I just did, did a lot of things that made the follow up later very difficult. Um, so this year I was obsessive about stapling my business cards into my notebook and writing their name and writing what they liked and writing what we talked about and writing when they wanted to be followed up with or if they needed a catalog. And, um, so this time around I've had, um, much, I I can ride that wave a lot farther because I actually have that information. Um, but you know, we, we continued to grow quite a bit last year. Um, and some of that was we opened our retail shop. Um, in, in the fall of 2014. Yes. Um, so we had, we had been expanding the business a different direction as well. Um, and doing workshops and, um, just kind of that slow, steady growth over time. Um, so definitely growing. Um, but I think I would have liked to ride that wave a whole lot farther than I did. Do you think, so now, now that you've kind of like diversified essentially like your revenue streams, right? You've got retail coming in, both walking in the door and online, I'm assuming. And then mm-hmm. you have yeah. workshops, which are just kind of like a whole different revenue stream. And then, mm-hmm. you know, wholesale. What's the split right now at your best estimation? Yeah, um, we're primarily a wholesale business um, for sure. Okay. Um, we we just launched our, our own retail sales on our own site, um, not that long ago. Um, so we're still building that a bunch and that's a whole other monster, you know, driving traffic to your retail site. And, you know, you've been doing that a whole lot longer than I have. And I'm, you know, I'm still learning quite a bit. (laughs) It's hard. It's really hard. (laughs) And it takes a very different kind of relationship and marketing than wholesale. And I honestly, I think wholesale is where my talents lie. Um, I love that long-term relationship with buyers where you, you know, I I met buyers at the show in 2014 that then I, you know, talked with on the phone throughout the next two years and then met at the show again in 2016. And like, they asked about my son and we talked about their kids and like, you know, that like ongoing relationship is, um, way more my, my speed than the, like, grab the clicks kind of thing like those don't feel like people to me because I don't get to meet them I don't know anything about them and so Mm. you know through analytics and other things I'm learning and I'm trying to like put faces to that um, because I know those are important things Um, but yeah I just I love wholesale for 
for a lot of reasons. And I think with wholesale, like the pressure is off to a certain extent because ultimately, right, it's this person's job to buy things for their store. So you feel like you're providing them with a service that they need, which is products that are good. Whether or not they agree that they want those products is a different story. But it's kind of like, okay, we're both working here. This is a mutual understanding. It doesn't feel like you're unsolicited selling something to somebody who may or may not even be in the market. If they're there and you're talking to them, they're in the market. They need to buy some stuff to fill up the store because you cannot have an empty store. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it makes more – it's just like logically easier to process that relationship and like how it's supposed to work. And I think that if I've learned anything like in the last year about – e-commerce I think social media is so it's such an attractive kind of shiny thing because you're like looking Mm -hmm. at your likes and you're looking at your followers grow and but at the end of the day I found that email marketing is still the most effective way to drive sales actual convertible like click-throughs because Mm -hmm. you know we, we all kind of like saw it even with the Instagram like change in the algorithm you don't own your social media followers. You have no control over what that company decides to do or not do. And growing your email list is kind of the only thing that you have 100% control over. So I like really made it my mission this year to like, if it's if it's only once a month, like send these people an email so they mm-hmm. don't forget who you are. You don't always have to give them something, sure. but occasionally throw them a free shipping code. It's not going to hurt your bottom line. And then come yeah. holiday season, they know who you are. They're looking forward to your emails. Mm-hmm. They, you're not a total random in their inbox hitting them up for the first totally. time in the last like seven months which is what I did the year before. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and, and like I said, I think I'm a, I'm a really bad example in so many ways. Cause I just, I started building my email list when I opened my retail shop. Like I, I, I had never had one. Mm-hmm. I like so vehemently hated that idea of having to write those that I just yeah. never did it. And, and so there's so many people along the way that I feel like I lost touch with that, you know, I, I, I could still have on board. Um, so, you know, I, all these things I'm learning, but I think I have like business as a second language. Like I, you know, (laughs) I, I, I came into this wanting to make things, wanting to print things and have found business to be the way that I get to do that. Um, so I, I, I've learned to love it and I've learned a lot of things about it, but I'm still, I'm still learning to, to do those things that I know are important that still need to get done. Um, and I think the, sort of the catalyst for being able to do those is I, um, I hired a staff, um, when my son was born. Um, and I went from doing 99.9% of everything to having, um, I'm up to five part-time employees. Um, and, and that was like painful for me at first, like really painful to hand off so much. Um, but it was also a time in my life that I wanted to be home for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I, I had something at home that was better than what I had at work. And um, so getting to delegate all that stuff meant um, m- meant that my business was serving my life for the first time. Because um, I've always been a workaholic, like work 24-7, always on my email, always on social media, always like thinking about work, talking about work. Like my friends and family were always so irritated with me. Um, <laughs> and so becoming a mom... I, it just changed the way that I looked at my company totally. Um, and I, I wish I'd done it sooner because it bringing people on board meant I had, um, 
people to share my frustrations with and like people to bounce ideas off of and people to proofread my crazy ramblings and, um, all that good stuff. So yeah, getting to delegate the day to day shipping, you know, responding to Etsy messages, um, Mm -hmm. being the one who opens the door at the shop, you know, pricing things and putting them on the shelves, like Mm -hmm. delegating all that stuff meant I could do, which, yeah, I could do the things that, that, that move the needle. Yeah. And I have to attribute that move the needle thing to Jen Gotch because I've listened to her talk at two different events now. And that's the <laughs> thing that I always walk away with thinking about is like, what can I do today to move the needle? Um, so yeah, I've been doing a lot of email marketing and, um, more focused social media stuff and, mm-hmm. um, designing new products and reaching out to retailers and, you know, working with reps and doing all the things that actually end up making it all work. Um, now I have time for that. Um, so I feel, I feel like, gosh, if I had been doing all this stuff all along, I'd be in a way different position than I am right now. Um, but you know, I think everybody's business has its own trajectory and I don't think I could have handled the kind of quantities and growth that we have now two years ago. Like I couldn't have done it. I would have lost it. Yeah. <laughs> therapy. I think delegating, like we said, therapy. Delegating <laughs> is like really hard for workaholics because you want to know you want to know that the things that that other person are doing is doing is like also moving the needle. So like sure. when we hired our wholesale account manager, the first thing really that I handed off was just like the emails that would come into the like info at and the, you know, wholesale at like the generic email addresses or and everything that would come in like from the contact form on the website, which I would get at like 11 o'clock at night and respond to immediately because that's who I am. Yeah. So giving it to someone because else. Because it stresses had... you out until you respond to it. Like right. <laughs> the same way. Or you're you just like sometimes you're it. just excited about like you know, new business sure. and you just like want to answer, but like that's building a really bad rapport with your, uh, with your customers and your accounts because they're then going to expect you to answer at that time of night all the time. Um, but at first the hardest thing was just like, okay, me wondering, are we still getting emails? Are people still emailing us? Like how many emails did you get today? What did they say? Who's contacting you? I want, like, I still wanted all the information. And, and then I was just like, this isn't helping you hired her so that you don't have to worry about that. But it took a little bit of time to trust that, like, she was doing her job and, like, following up and, you know, still getting all the accounts and doing all that stuff. So it's definitely a, a learning process. Um, and mm-hmm. and I really appreciated what you said of, like, everybody's business has their own trajectory. Like, you don't necessarily know how it's going to go for you, but you certainly shouldn't compare yours to someone else's. And I think the same goes with just, like, life. If, mm-hmm. you know, you've learned anything in your 20s, it's that everybody's life has a different trajectory and you don't know what the plan is for yours, but it's certainly not the same as somebody else's. And, you know, it's a hard thing to kind of get through. You know, the quarter life crisis is definitely a real. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but whether you're going through it as, you know, somebody married, somebody single, somebody working a nine to five, somebody working at McDonald's or somebody who owns their own business. It doesn't matter because, you know, that this is just, it's your life. I, you know, try not to compare it to other people's. I think that's super important. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for, for female entrepreneurs. Like I, not to, I don't know, I'm, I'm a feminist as, as, as much as I, you know, oh gosh, anybody else. But I do think that there's a uniquely female 
um, thing when it comes to comparing the perception of someone else's life. Like I, I talk to my husband all the time and, and he's never, he's never like, gosh, the guy next door is a nicer car than me. Like I, I maybe it's just my husband is, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's unique, but, um, <laughs> But I do it all the time. And I think, you know, especially with Instagram, like I have to remind myself that everybody's doing the same thing I'm doing, which is trying to market their business and trying to portray themselves in mm-hmm. in a positive light. And so, you know, I, I've said it before, like, that's why I love your podcast, because I can look at your Instagram feed and it's supposed to be beautiful and put together and sophisticated and like all those things. And then I love to think like, no, you're also probably crying over a beer about cash flow. Like we're both yeah. doing that. And, you know, so I think it's just, it's a hard for me sometimes to, to look at businesses that are started the same year mine was who are massive. Um, you know, uh, uh, there's a, there's a very famous, uh, stationary company, um, with a, a beautiful young woman at the head of it that graduated from the same school I did. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I've never met her and I probably won't. I like, I don't know. Um, but I, it's so hard for me to not look at that and be like, I came from the same place you did. And now <laughs> look at you, look at your business. It's, yeah. Um, it's not fair to but you. But it's totally yeah. different. Like, you know, I, they had a whole lot more full-time employees, a whole lot faster, and you can do a whole lot more with more people putting in 40 hours a week. Like mm-hmm. that's, you know. And you can design a whole lot more products when that's the only thing you're doing. And that's never been my reality. Um, so, it, you know, I think it's just tempting to to compare and to, to sort of see what people put out into the world and feel like, good God, that will never be me. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I also lately have been, this is probably controversial, but hopefully they hear it and love it. But I've been telling myself lately, um, you are more Emily McDowell than Anna Bond. That's like my, that's been my like battle cry. And I, uh. I think they're both wonderful and they're both like badass ladies that run amazing businesses. Um, but reminding myself that like, I am not a, um, I'm not a luxury brand and I'm not a, um, mm. an aspirational brand. Mm-hmm. I am a salt of the earth, you know, get your hands dirty tell it like it is, like write mm-hmm. your dirty feelings in a card and send it to people. Like that's more, maybe not dirty feelings, but, but you know, the hard <laughs> ones. Like, I've got cards about infertility. I've got cards about cancer. Like, right. you know, we, I'm a very, very different brand um, right. than, than other people's brands. And so I've just been trying to remind myself that like, I'm not going for perfection. And on the days when I feel like I am like trying to be perfect, it's like, now just, just, calm down and be yourself just shut up shut up stupid brain I feel like everybody compares their like their like trajectory to rifle because rifle started around the same time that a lot of us started businesses so it's hard um it's so it's super hard for me because I feel like we do have the same customer we are in the same aspirational thing and then I found out Mm -hmm. that they are launching a candle line Oh, that that hurts. That's hard. <laughs> and I don't know what it looks like. And I pretty much just yeah. would pay so much money to see some pictures. So I'm make sure that the line that we're developing doesn't look like that. And I'm it's so, so hard. paranoid. Yeah. There's one thing I would love to talk about related to that. Um, just the idea of we're all working very, you know, far apart, but kind of shoulder to shoulder in these industries Mm -hmm. and 
that stuff comes out that is not a ripoff, that is not um, inspired by someone else's company, but but comes out that that feels similar and looks similar sometimes. And mm-hmm. and it's so painful when it happens because um, I think everybody runs to conclusions so quickly. Um, but I've seen it happen to some pretty wonderful people where someone thinks, oh, my God, that looks like that. And they've yeah. all been like staying in their own lane, working on their own stuff. Yeah. And like they release it at the same show and no one's seen it. And it says almost the same thing. And it's yeah. like it's heartbreaking when it happens, but it happens because we're all targeting some of the similar customers and we're working with the, right. s- the same kinds of materials. And there's only so many, especially with greeting cards, there's only so many ways to say some of this stuff, you know. <laughs> well, and yeah. there's also like with design, when you have a background in design, you understand the principle that there's literally nothing new under the sun. Like you didn't invent oh, yeah. it. I don't care who you are. Um, I don't know if you saw there was something going around on Facebook like maybe a couple months ago and it was this book from like I don't remember if it was the 60s or the 70s like this book of logos that had in it an extremely similar version of like the Airbnb logo the Flipboard logo like because these are all like uh alphanumeric single logos like mm-hmm. you can't there's only so many ways you can write the letter A it, mm-hmm. because it still has to look like the letter A so like you know it was just sure. so interesting to me and even with our like um our cocktail collections, they're geometric patterns. They look like other geometric. I didn't steal it from anybody, but at the same time, like it's a classic pattern, you know, it's mid-century. Like it looks like other stuff. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Like it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's but I think painful. with the whole like Instagram thing, I like to remind people that I have a degree in photography and a background in social media marketing. I, I worked in social media marketing for like four years. And uh, like I, I people like, you know, like, I don't know how you do it. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I don't, it's not something that I struggle with, but I struggle with other parts of my business that other people might be really good at. I struggle with like talking about myself, like being promotional um, and in a, like a way that needs to be boastful because you need to not sound like, you're making uh not excuses but like you know when when you sell something that is a higher ticket item Mm -hmm. sometimes your first reaction is just to like try to justify when instead you just need to be like this is what it is and this is what it costs and I'm not gonna like make reasons about it but you know it's it's hard because you don't make a lot of money and you wouldn't necessarily be the person who would buy that thing but that doesn't mean that it's not worth that amount that's a very mm-hmm. hard like social justification to get through in your head and to like work through, especially when you're at like craft shows where the last Renegade craft show I was at, I was they literally put my table across from another candle vendor who was selling candles for like ten dollars. Oh, that's so hard. But at the same time, it didn't it didn't bother me at all because we had completely different customers. We still did great. Sure. She also did, I'm sure, pretty well because she mm-hmm. looked packed, you know, most of the time. So like you have to yeah. realize like there's not we are I like we are standing very shoulder to shoulder. There's enough customers to go around in all those different, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely it, people who are looking for this kind of work that, you know, don't worry about it too much. It, it can be really hard. And if it's if it is starting to, like, give people r- real legitimate anxiety, don't go on Instagram. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Like as a marketing tool, it's not worth it. Or just unfollow a bunch of people. Like for a while, I unfollowed a bunch of candle makers. Yeah. Unfollow people who are directly your competition. 
if you don't want to a be influenced or b become really anxious slash depressed because of like what they're posting sure. because it's not worth it yeah you know follow it's your friends not. and i follow yeah other people. and i know there's a big difference for me when i'm working and i'm creating things and i'm marketing and i'm mm-hmm. on instagram and when i've had a beer and it's late at night and cash flow sucks and i'm on instagram like they're, they're, it's a trap. Like it is a trap. And mm-hmm. I know that when I walk in. So I think, I think that's sort of a helpful thing for me to remember too, is like, you know, when I'm in a bad mood, I need to be on my other Instagram account. That's all like puppies and kittens and cute babies <laughs> and stay off of, you know, other businesses trying to market. Like it just doesn't, you know, I kind of take a step back. Also, another tip is like, if it's really starting to stress you out, like, after you post something, if all you're doing is like staring at your phone, like watching for like likes to come in, then you have a problem and you probably need to turn off the push notifications on your phone. Oh yeah. Um, I don't have any notifications treat it, on my treat phone. Treat it like I'm marketing and it. just let it go out into the universe and you know. Yeah. I look at the numbers. Like if, if something has 30 likes versus a hundred, you know, I yeah. know like, Hey, this was not as well received as something else. So I yeah. look at it that way, but you know, I've tried to avoid, um, the like looking on the page of every person who likes to see why they liked it and who they are, <laughs> unless I post something and one of our professional soccer players from Seattle likes it, then I get really excited. I jump <laughs> up and down and that's a good reason to care about social media. I think <laughs> I look occasionally when we get new followers, cause I just kind of like to mm-hmm. glance and a lot of times there are stores. And so I like to follow back or engage oh, yeah. a little bit or sure. things like that. But yeah, I try not to like, you know, get really obsessed but lately with the algorithm I've had to like remind myself to not be so obsessive because our likes have been like yo-yoing like crazy where before Mm -hmm. the change they were pretty consistent and now I'm just like what's going on and trying to like figure out the best time to Mm -hmm. post and I'm just like ah don't worry about it like too much like it'll be okay it's fine yeah but when I post a when I post a photo of like a sale and it gets like 30 likes I'm like what's happening I don't know I can't (laughs) yeah that's that's not okay yeah it's the same thing we all went through with Facebook where, you know, you've got a thousand followers and, and then you have a photo that has one like and you're like, what is happening? And then you realize that Facebook showed it to eight people and you're like, mm, that's about right. That's a pretty good percentage. Just yeah. sad, but it happens. That's totally yeah. accurate. So what do you think now that you've kind of got the retail shop, which I'm super jealous about because it's been a huge goal of mine forever, but I can never find a warehouse space that will also work, you know, to have both. It just doesn't exist sure. right now. But what do you think that like, you know, having that store and then also starting to carry other lines, you know, being on the other side of the table has taught you about, you know, your own wholesale business or just other things you'd like to share <laughs> knowledge sure. that has come in kind yeah. of through that channel. It's been, it's been hugely uh, informative. <laughs> um, I mean, the first thing I want to put out in the world is, we were able to open the retail shop because I found an amazing deal on a storefront space. So I traded my rent at my previous space for the same rent in a, in a retail shop. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise. There's just no way. Um, I was looking at, you know, uh, I was looking at retail spaces in my current neighborhood in Pioneer Square. And I was looking at like five grand a month for retail spaces. And I don't know about you, but that's a huge additional overhead I didn't have like it just didn't make sense um so I you know we we made a neighborhood change which was tough because we'd really invested in our in our neighborhood and we were downtown and we really liked that Mm -hmm. um 
but we moved closer to where we live, which has been great. Like uh, running down to the shop for 30 minutes is now feasible because I'm a mile away, which is beautiful. (laughs) It's so nice. Um, so yeah, basically our, our building is owned by the port of Seattle. So it's not a money making scheme for them, um, Mm -hmm. to be landlords. Like they have this building and it's sort of a public service to have, um, retail in the building to make it, you know, more of a destination. So honestly, I think that's another thing that's like, I just got super lucky, um, found the right space at the right time, um, and was able to make it work. Um, cause I think a lot of people have, have come at me pretty hard with questions about how, how am I that successful? How, how am I making retail work in this terrible, you know, this terrible economic time. And that's yeah. my answer is I, I only took it on when I knew, I knew without a doubt that I could, that I could handle it, that I could pay for it, that even if it made nothing, I could still make that overhead work. Um, so that was a nice way to start. Um, and at first we just put our cards up in the store. We were like, look, we sell cards. Um, and our, our printing presses are in the, in the store as well in kind of a roped off area. Um, but it definitely brought a lot of people in to see the presses moving and, um, things being made, mm-hmm. you know, on the shop floor. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I sort of slowly started carrying more lines. Um, and that has taught me a lot for sure. Um, it's taught me a little bit about why buyers get scared to bring in new wines. Um, cause I've brought in some wines that did not do well, um, yeah. that, you know, I ended up having to sell for super, super bargain basement prices to get out of my shop. Um, and that's painful when that happens. Like it's a mm-hmm. terrible feeling to know you're losing money on something that you thought was, was good, but didn't really fit what your customers are looking for. Um, I've also learned that my shop has a very specific price point that it can handle. Um, Higher end goods don't do well in my shop. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't think it has anything to do with the, the kind of shop it is. I just think it has everything to do with the location and the built in uh, consumer base. Um, So we have a, we have a great restaurant that's right next door. We share a window with it. um, And you know, yeah. So there's always walking traffic, um, seven days a week at lunchtime and dinner time, like hundreds and hundreds of people, which is awesome. Um, but I've learned to embrace and love who those people are because I do bring some people in off the street to come specifically for us. But mm-hmm. most of the people I'm working with are, you know, someone else's customer that I'm tapping into. Um, so I've learned like I can bring in a hundred dollar item, but I'm not going to sell it. Like I'm going to mm-hmm. sell it maybe to one person once a year. So I can't bring in a lot of them, you know? Mm-hmm. So I've, I've learned kind of where, you know, what my, my store can bear as far as a price point. Um, and I've also learned a lot about, um, like the habits of buyers and just the reality of being a buyer. Um, there are so many lines that I've brought into my store that sell really well and sell out right away. And, and then I forget about them because they're not in front of my eyes. And mm-hmm. if you never follow up with me, you're not going to get a reorder because I literally forgot about you. And it's like, no, like no offense meant like sometimes Mm -hmm. I look through my Instagram and I'm like, Oh my God, I forgot about them. Like I love their stuff. Like I should really get it again Mm -hmm. because it's gone. Um, but that follow up is so important. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that we've learned along the way that I think people tell you about like how to and not to contact buyers and talk to them. But I've kind of gotten to learn firsthand what that feels like to, you know, get a Facebook message from 
a person you knew in high school who now makes a product. Like <laughs> that's not a good way to pitch me. Um, I also really don't love getting pitches on Instagram direct messages because it's just, it's, you know, I just feel like email me. I, my, my email address is posted everywhere. Just shoot me an email, send me some photos. Um, don't tell me you make cards and then not send me any photos of the cards you make. Like telling me you make cards, that means literally nothing to me. Everyone makes cards. Like, <laughs> I make cards. So, you know, tell me why your cards are worth my time. Like, don't just send me a link. Like I, you know, I appreciate an email with a photo in it. Like I really mm-hmm. do. Cause I'm a visual person and I don't have a lot of time. So I, I just really appreciate it when people, when makers and manufacturers, using the name of your show, um, <laughs> when they, they do some of the work for me and, and, you know, when they're polite and they use my name and they send the right name of my shop and don't send me an email with someone else's shop name in it, and, <laughs> you know, some of those things. Like, it's not like if you do any of those things, I'm never going to buy from you. It's just, you know, it is a relationship and, mm-hmm. and I want to support other small businesses by buying from them, but I only have a, a limited budget and I want to support the people who I um, connect with and I want to support people who are really working hard in their own business the way that I am. So if I feel like you're just kind of like throwing something at me, then it's not nearly as, um, as you know, impressive to me as someone who's like carefully crafted what they have to say and what they're sending me um, and reaching out in a way that's respectful and, mm-hmm. um, and timely. Um, so I think that's taught me a lot about follow-up because I, I was really bad at it, honestly, in my wholesale business. Like I just mm-hmm. assumed like, well, you bought from me before, so I don't need to spend my time and energy on you. But yeah. I think it's all about getting the reorder. It's all about the follow-up. It's all about, you know, snail mail and emails and just um, being polite and well-timed and um, and having new things. That was another thing that I've learned is like if someone sends me the same catalog for two years, like I'm, I'm probably sick of it. Like I want to know it's new and I may not buy it, but I definitely would like to see that your business is changing and growing and that you're not going away. Cause I've also bought from businesses that went out of business. And then I have to tell my customers that they can't, I can't get that for you anymore because they stopped making it. And yeah. that's heartbreaking because you think like, I don't know, you, you think that people would forget, but I have people that came into my shop two years ago and then two years later, they came back and they're like, I bought this thing and I want more of them. Where is it? And they get really upset when you don't have it. So, um, wow. you know, it just, it, it makes a difference to me that, that you and I, you know, these, these other companies and I can kind of grow together and continue to mm-hmm. offer the products to my, to my customers. It's really that, interesting. No. Like when you see, um, you know, it, how important it is to not only follow up, but continue to keep stores that maybe have not yet purchased from you but that have agreed to be on your list you know keep them updated with what's new because I've had orders from stores that have said like you know they've wanted to to order from us for like two years but they just you know never had the budget or whatever the reason is like Mm -hmm. they just weren't ready or they were waiting or you know for our line to get big enough whatever it is right they kind of want to see you grow and they want to see that you'll that you are going to stick around Right. Because they don't mm-hmm. want some their customers to fall in love with something, especially when you make a product like a candle that is a consumable product that, you know, if you have customers that fall in love with that scent, they're going to burn it and they're going to come back into the store and they're going to want it again. And if you don't mm-hmm. think that business is in it for the long haul, why are you going to invest in it? It's a much safer bet for you as a store owner to just stock a Lume because they're not going anywhere. And 
mm-hmm. you know, or, or just, you know, one of the big heavy hitters and, and they're sure. a bit cheaper and, you know, the scents are agreeable ish and sorry, <laughs> <laughs> some of them are really good. I'm not going to lie. Like I, there, there are a few that I like, but anyway, you know, you have to make those decisions because Absolutely. you have that relationship with your customer. And as a manufacturer or a, you know, designer, somebody who's creating a product and then trying to sell it, you don't really think about it from that point of view, from that perspective Mm -hmm. of the buyer. Um, And I think it's so interesting to get that point of view and Mm -hmm. and be reminded of it. And another thing that I really love is realizing how much, you know, that cash flow pays it plays into like when or when they can and cannot buy from you because if you sold 200 cards that month over the range of the nine lines that you carry including your own or whatever it is right Mm -hmm. when it comes time to place a reorder with based on people's reorders minimum reorder minimums you're only going to be able to place reorders with two of those companies that month you know max or whatever it is you have to make that decision and eventually you're going to end up with more of that person's product than the other because that's just the way it's going and then their stuff is you know new and it's selling and it you know whatever but you have those decisions to make so being top of mind whether that means following up via email or checking in every once in a while Mm -hmm. um we do kind of like if it's been more than six months you know we're you know not even six months we do more like four months but um we're like are you ready for more candles we'll send an email it might be slightly on the naggy side, but until someone tells you, hey, this sucked, our customers didn't buy it, please stop emailing me, Yeah. then you're not nagging them. Even if they open it and don't respond, you're still you're just staying top of mind. You're reminding them. You're being Absolutely. helpful. This is your job, and it's their job. So, you know, everybody's Absolutely. good. Until someone tells you you're being a pain in the ass, like, don't worry and about it. And that's fine. And, and there are people that have, you know, unsubscribed. And, and I feel like that's such good feedback. And I, I wish that maybe like six months earlier they had said, hey, we're just, you know, it didn't really sell for us or we're not really selling cards or like all that feedback is so helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's painful to send. Like I don't love telling people like I'm not going to carry their line because of this, this, right. this, you know. But I think like I think it's good. I think it's good to share that information because I would much rather have a short list of stores that I contact all the time that love my stuff and that it sells well for and that like that, that I'm a good fit than send a lot of stuff into the void to people that are like, Oh God, like, you know, so I, I love that feedback. Um, just one thing that you had said earlier that it's just, I, it's just a funny anecdote is in 2014 at NSS, I met this, um, really sweet couple of buyers. Um, and they're these like really cool older gentlemen and they're just like really rad, unique people. And I like remember them really clearly because they came by the booth like three different times and talked to me and they, and they didn't place an order. And I thought about them literally for two years, like, because (laughs) I, I love male buyers like in general, like I think they're really interesting and I, um, my line tends to be more appealing to a masculine audience than a lot of other stationary lines. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of pride myself in that, that like guys will buy my cards. Like right. that's a great thing, I think. <laughs> um, so I thought about them for two years and I had been sending emails and catalogs and whatever, like crickets, absolutely nothing. They came to the show 2016 and wrote an order and are super thrilled and like jazzed to have us on board. Yay. But it took two years. Yeah. But that like, you yeah. know, it, seems so long when you're starting out but now in the grand scheme of things like two years it's not that long like for a buyer to kind of 
watch you grow, see your new stuff added, get your line to a point where they have enough that they think will be a good fit and sell well, um, mm-hmm. and place that order. So I think it's like the that slow, slow and steady thing is important. Like just keep keep being persistent and polite and kind, and um, and, and eventually it pays off, which is pretty rad. And it's important to like remember you don't know who's watching you, you don't know who's been keeping tabs on you who's been following your Instagram who's been tracking and seeing how you grow until they are ready until they're confident to kind of get to that point um and when when you do finally hear that feedback you're like oh yeah we've been following you for a couple years we really love your stuff you know you're like oh wow Mm -hmm. okay really that's cool you know I I didn't notice you were following me but how would you know right how would you know if somebody's kind of keeping tabs on your your growth and your trajectory but I think it's really encouraging to just keep going because you're right two years in the grand scheme of things not that long of a period of time absolutely and one thing that I think I'm also finally seeing the sort of the fruit of is I've always um tried to share personal stuff on social media um Mm -hmm because I feel like our business is very personal. It's a relationship business. It's stationary. Um, you're kind of being invited into people's lives for big moments and sad moments, um, when you sell them a card. Um, so I've been trying along the way to like respectfully and, and cautiously share my heart and my life, um, with social media. Um, and at moments that feels so scary and vulnerable. Um, but one thing I noticed, especially at this, this year's NSS is, um, there are buyers that came up and they've been following us on Instagram mm-hmm. and they, you know, shared that they were adopted and so that they love that we adopted and, or share that they have an adopted kid and want to show pictures of their kid. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I posted like the night before we set up for NSS, I had a major panic attack and, um, a bunch of stuff had been happening and it was just sort of a perfect storm of like all day travel with a one-year-old and, um, business stress and money stress and family stress and like everything at once. I just kind of lost it that night. It was like really rough. Um, Mm -hmm. so I shared about it and then I had all these buyers coming up and like telling me that like they struggle with anxiety and that they so appreciate it. And, um, I got all these hugs from like random people that I'd never met before. Um, and I, and I think, you know, that's not right for everybody's business, but for mine, it's been, it's been huge. Um, just because I'm a real person and when you're buying my cards, you're buying them from a real person. And when you support my business, you're supporting these specific people and my specific family and you're allowing me to make more stuff. Um, so I, I, that for me means the world. Like I'm, I'm such a people person. Like I, the idea of, you know, me writing and making a card and printing it and then sending it out to someone in Ireland, like still blows my mind. And that's the stuff that kind of gets me up in the morning is like, I, you know, someone bought my words to send to the person they love. Like that's, uh, that's everything. So I think for my business, it's been really huge to be able to share some of myself. Um, and I think, I think our buyers appreciate that because they, they go through cash flow stress and they mm-hmm. have families and they're trying to make a, a living at a small business. Like they are us. They're just mm-hmm. on a different, slightly different trajectory than we are um as makers and manufacturers i gotta stop saying that but you pick good (laughs) words (laughs) thanks when i told my mom the name of the podcast she said it should be maker and manufacturer not maker to manufacturing it would be making to manufacturing or maker to manufacturer and i was like mom it's done i bought the domain it's too late it's over my mom's an English teacher oh gosh that reminds me 
yeah, that reminds me of one more, more thing that I've learned with a retail shop is um, it's ma- it's put me face to face with an end consumer on a daily basis, which yeah. is really good. Because I think when you're making a product, you can get in your head to a point where you're like, it's great and my buyers love it. But <laughs> then there is some nitpicker at the end of the line who's going to be like, why is it like this? Or why is it this color? Or why is it horizontal and not vertical? Or why is it spelled like this? Or why did you use the slang? And as much as it bothers me sometimes to get that mm-hmm. feedback, I get it now on a daily basis. So I've made changes to my line based on that like constant feedback. Because if one person says it is at a craft show, that's one thing. But if then like 30 people walk in in one day and critique something, you're like, no, this is wrong and I need to change it. Like <laughs> I've been overruled. So I've been kind of appreciated that aspect. Yeah, it's super helpful. Sometimes. <laughs> Okay, we need to wrap this up, but I wanted to just give you an opportunity. Um, What do you think is kind of like the biggest misconception that people have about running a business? And kind of what do you wish you could like tattoo on your forehead if that was socially acceptable? Oh, gosh. Um, Not that it's not socially acceptable. I don't want to get a lot of hate from people with tattoos. I apologize. None on my forehead, but they're everywhere else. Um, I was lifting my arms to show you for the podcast. See podcast? Um, that's terrible. Um, uh, yeah. Gosh. I, I think something you've brought up in the past is, um, is like borrowing money from family members. Um, and that's something that, that we've also done. Um, you know, my parents owned a business for a really long time and they were able to sell it. Um, so over the past like several years when there's something we've wanted to do or something we've had to do, like, you know, uh, when you get that huge order and you don't have any paper or any money to buy paper, like that's always thrilling. You know, we pay, you know, interest on that loan and we're working that off. But, um, yeah, I think that there's this, there's definitely a misconception that everybody has more money than you. Um, yeah. and, um, some people do, and that's great, but um, we didn't. And, you know, when you start a business at 22, like, you don't have any money. Like, you yeah. literally wait for the for the $300 check to come in so you can pay your rent. Like, that that used to be my reality at our first space. We, you know, we paid 325 bucks a month for our first studio, and it was this, like, 100-square-foot abomination. Um, but I literally was like, I have to get my client – project to pay the $325 that I charged them so that I can pay my rent today. Like, yeah. you know, you made it work and, and we're still doing that in a lot of ways. Like we, you know, we have five part-time employees, so we have, you know, we got to make payroll. We got to make rent. Like I've been, um, I, my printing assistant, Brooke is like the most amazing person in the whole world. And her mom just died suddenly, mm. um, like two weeks ago, um, like two days after I got back from the show. Um, so I've been printing every night after my husband gets home from work, um, like hand off the baby and go into the shop. And, um, so I'm, I'm a little exhausted right now, but what was I going to say even, gosh, oh, but yeah, cause I, I had to get these things reprinted so that I could get the wholesale orders out from NSS so that I could make, you know, payroll. rent and payroll and all those things. <laughs> like, you know, you gotta get yeah. it done um, yeah, some months we're like super ahead, but then you do something like NSS and you're like, oh, I'm in the hole. Like, you know, you got to make a ton of money as fast as you can. And, um, it hasn't changed all that much. It's just the scale of it has changed. So I think 
when I'm comparing, I have to tell myself that too. Like, um, somebody who has 50 employees is dealing with the same issues I am. Yeah. They're just dealing with it on a much larger scale. And, um, yeah. So I, I think the, the fantasy of like waking up at 10 and, you know, wearing my beautiful pajamas into the kitchen to make a French press, um, while I cut some peonies and, and <laughs> write in my dream journal for an hour before I uh, get to work. Like, I think that's oh what I really gosh. thought in the beginning it's going to be like, and I've had oh days God. like that where there's nothing to do because I'm not making any money and I'm not making any product. So I might as well just cut some peonies and, you know, drink yep. French press. But, um, for the most part, it's like, I haven't showered in three days and I'm printing at 11 o'clock at night and I'm, you know, trying to make it work and move the needle and like hustle. Like it's, uh, it is a wild ride, but I also like can't stop smiling talking about it because I, I love it. Like I love yeah. all of it in a weird way. It's just kind of it's it's been my life now for seven years, so it's it's a it's a beautiful thing, and and I hope in another seven years I'm a hell of a lot farther along than I am today. But I, I, yeah, gosh, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Well, I'm so glad that you like took the time out of your day to talk to me and I really appreciate you being so honest. I think that when it comes to sharing specific things like numbers and the, you know, just like the struggles, um, I remember when I was starting out, all I wanted somebody to do was say a round number for <laughs> the costs of some stuff or for how much money they made sure. at a show or something like that because you just couldn't find that information anywhere. Um you know, I saw like sample trade show budgets based on percentage, not like dollars. And you just wanted mm. somebody to tell you, like, why are people trying to like hide this information? I just want to know how much it's going to cost. And, you know, yeah. so I'm glad that there are plenty of people that are willing to kind of come and take this journey with me and like sharing a lot of this information and, and sharing our struggles and continuing to be the most depressing podcast on iTunes. <laughs> So. But it's not depressing. <laughs> I want to just encourage you. Like I've been loving listening to it because, like I said, I cry. I cry because you, are, you guys are all just like me. You're living my life. Like it's, it's exactly the same in so many ways. But it's also encouraging because um, yeah. it's hard and it's such a hustle. But I would much rather um, hear about other people's hard work and hustle than hear about um, how wonderful everything is and I'm just doing it wrong. You know? Yeah. So no, I think, for sure. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's a reality check but also a really positive one because like we're all like group hugging about like hard stuff. And that's, that's like the best things in life, you know, it's just a big group therapy session. That's, that's all. right. We're it's working great. it out. <laughs> well, thanks awesome. so much. So Sarah. I really appreciate you doing it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me. Right. Oh, and if you want to buy cards about weird stuff, I just designed and printed a card that says your butt is awesome. So you're into that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what is your um, let people is know where your website code. and stuff like that. Yeah, we are at constellationco.com um and the discount code is um M2M because of the podcast um <laughs> for 20% off. So Yay! jump in there do it. I'm loving Stay this trend it. of giving discount codes in the podcast. Let's continue this. <laughs> I think it's worth it. Hey, give it no, a try. No. We'll, we'll see if anybody buys anything. You let me know. I think that will be very interesting. It makes me seem really charitable. Like I have goodwill and willing to share discounts. So, you know, it's all about perception. I'm trying discounts to, to my target audience of like makers who make no money and are struggling with cash flow. That's so great. I don't know about that. I don't know about that though because I buy a lot of other people's stuff. Like no, I, it's true. you know, it's true. We're I, I think all we're all pretty together. That's right. <laughs> Awesome. Have a great rest of your day. Okay, you too. Bye.
Thanks so much for listening to From Maker to Manufacturing. I'm your host, Sarah Cooley. I hope you guys enjoyed this long-awaited episode 10, and hopefully episode 11 won't be too far behind. But keep sending me your questions and your encouraging messages because it really does help keep me going when there are a million other things to do, and editing the show and recording it does usually take about a full day out of my schedule when you kind of combine everything together. So it's nice to know that you're really helping people with all the extra work that you're putting in. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and I'll see you next time. Bye.